A quick warning before we start. This and all other episodes in this series contain adult subject matter, including strong language and descriptions of violent and nonviolent crimes. It may not be suitable for all audiences. Discretion is advised. Between its 1989 incorporation and its last voting cycle in 2016, the tiny desert town of Quartzsite, Arizona has gone through some serious growing pains. I do not blame the individual officers. I want to make that clear. It's their crap leadership. This sounds like an intervention is needed here, Doug. I mean, someone's got to go out there and do something. Who's going to do it? It's in my town. It's in the county. The mayor says he's been trying to get the governor's office and the attorney general's office to do something, and all they do is ignore him. Nine members of our police department filed charges against their chief uh, for corruption. I spoke to uh, DPS. They acknowledged that they were investigating uh, the police chief for the allegations laid on him by his uh, officers. What made it unique was how so decentralized the fight was. But uh, failing that, uh, I think it really is at the governor's feet. They were fighting over City Hall, and the fight really got dirty. We've had deaths here in town since, and haven't been solved. The first mayor got murdered, and the second mayor, I believe, was accused of the murder. Breaking and disturbing news out of Quartzsite, Arizona. Nine of the city's 14 police officers have filed complaints with the state of Arizona about the police chief's abuse of power for political gain. This has gotten everyone's attention. This is what has made this a national story, is the fact that uh, Jennifer J. Jones uh, was speaking before the council. She was speaking critically. Uh, she'd been recognized by the council. She had the microphone. Uh, she wasn't up there very long before someone on the council said, uh, you're done. They came after us. We have been surveilled, followed, or at least charged with a felony crime by this chief of police. Right. Dozens gathered at the Quartzsite City Hall, anxious to find out what's going on with their local politicians. Well, claims of secret meetings, death threats, and a state of emergency. The fight really got dirty. Divided. The town was under martial law. Disputatious. It was out of control. Contentious. It was a police state around here. Very unfriendly. I mean, it goes on and on and on. I would like to give the people of La Paz County the opportunity to enjoy true constitutional freedom. From legally insane films comes the story of how small town corruption and greed in the Arizona desert echoed across the world and is even mirrored in the politics of Capitol Hill. This is Big Trouble in Little Quartzsite. This first episode is called Chaos Incorporated. The story that I'm about to tell you, first off, it's totally crazy. And I know that every podcast host probably says that about their podcast, but this one is really off the charts crazy. Imagine that you live in a tiny town, like really small. I lived in a small town in Alaska called Palmer. There's about 5,000 people that live there. And within a week of moving there, I already knew everyone's business. Quartzsite, the town where this story takes place, is even smaller than that. It's 3,500 full-time residents, and at the time that some of this story takes place, it was about half that size. What's more, the average resident there is 75 years old. 75. You know that phrase, more gossip than a knitting circle? Well, there are literally knitting circles there by the dozens. Now, imagine that there are a few people in town that get arrested on a regular basis. You'd definitely find out about them. 
what they were arrested for, by which officer, for what charge. You'd also find out that these same people also happen to continually have those charges either dropped before they go to court or refused outright by the judge. But it gets worse. What if there were rumors circulating about tax embezzlement by the town council? That they were stealing tax revenue, hiking up your sewage bill, even if you weren't connected to the city treatment plant, and then you see your mayor and council people building and living in elaborate houses in town. Soon enough, you have residents starting to question the council about these circumstances, only to have themselves arrested and hauled out of town on charges of, quote-unquote, disturbing the peace. One day, one of these arrests go viral, reaching millions of views on dozens of streaming accounts around the world. The town gets death threats, network news stations come in and cover the controversy, the attorney general is notified, and the town government calls for a state of emergency. Now imagine that 80% of the police department files a lawsuit against the chief claiming abusive power, corruption, and even the targeting of opponents of town hall. News of this reaches an armed biker gang and a watchdog organization known as the Oath Keepers, who then rally in town on a summer day that reaches 117 degrees to march on town hall and demand the firing of the chief and the reunification of order to its citizens. If I told you all of this happened and that all of it was true, you'd probably think I was talking about a crime organization in a Teamster-controlled Chicago, or a drug gang operating bribe networks throughout the various boroughs of New York City. But it's not. It all took place in a two-mile-wide town, straddling a highway in the middle of the desert along the California border. And these stories didn't take place that long ago. Many of them happened as recently as 2017, and some of the stories, if only the remaining threads of those stories, are still ongoing. The Wild West politics that have sprouted in Quartzsite just go so overboard and trapes so far into left field that you'd think that everyone here retired from the Teamsters, or maybe they're not retired at all, but just living out their remaining years on the lam from a life of crime. That would actually be a pretty good explanation for the kind of people who contributed to the conflagration that literally cut the economy here into a fraction of what it was in its heyday. And that thing I said about the people that live here, it's not that far from the truth. There'll be some pretty hard facts about the town that'll be revealed over the course of this story. But chief among them is that many of the people here are in fact criminals, violent criminals, pedophiles, people who've even worked for the town with known warrants and who weren't arrested by the chief because they had political agreements. Even to this day, many of those criminals are in fact hiding from warrants that they have in other states. I don't even know how to explain this town. It's so, so bizarre. I don't know, you can't trust anyone. This is Jenny Mills. There's probably about 50 child molesters in town, registered, non-registered. Um, it's a place where people go to hide. They've had several people you know, that did crimes in other states end up in Quartzsite. <laughs> she was a mayoral candidate in years past. She also owns an RV park in town. There are a lot of tenets to the story that make its criminal aspect interesting and important. These range from its relevance in our current political climate, to the essence of personal pride in politics, to nepotism and cronyism, to civil rights, to the role social media and fear-mongering play in fake news and the virality of scandal, to the lack of education in our leadership, to probably hundreds of other topics that will become evident by the time the last word of this story is uttered. But probably the three major contributing factors are the following. Number one, the town's history. Number two, its geographic location. And number three, its characters. 
All of these factors are interwoven and are not only related to, but affect in one way or another, how much the other factors play in their various roles. On to the story. So starting with number one, Quartzite's history, which dates way back to the 1800s, has as much to do with this story as the last 30 years of it. It started out literally as a watering hole for pioneers, Indians, and settlers, traveling and driving their wagons from Mexico to parts north, and those in pursuit of gold headed west. This is the current mayor, Norm Simpson. This town was established mainly for the people building the Old West, the pioneers traveling to California, coming for the gold rush, coming for the gold here, or to uh, work the steamboats going up and down the Colorado River. He was elected in 2016. He also owns a restaurant and an RV park in town. Quartzsite eventually lost its spark as a gold rush town, but kept its foothold in the gem and mineral rich area that miners are still making their living at to this very day. This produced not just a home base for many placer miners and French hard rock miners, but also for the black market communities that customarily follow the mining industry. This is Mark Goldberg. I would say that the, the earliest quartzite that I have any familiarity with started out really with French miners that were here, built a lot of the stone cabins that were here and did hard rock mining and placer mining. Of course, Indians before that. He's a local four-wheeler enthusiast and the husband of town council member Linda Goldberg. The important point to note here is that most industries have traceable products or services. If, for instance, you want a TV commercial filmed for your business, you hire a film crew and they offer you the service of video production resulting in the product of a commercial. Both the product and the service can be traced back to the film crew, the gear they rented from the camera shop, the paychecks that came from your business agreement. All of that is discoverable by following the money and nearly every single revenue stream currently in existence in America can, and most often is, taxed and filed under a social security number or an employment identifier. Because of that, there are very few industries that have no real traceable variables. But mining is one of these few industries. Most miners work under the table, most equipment in small operations is bought used or simply constructed, and most importantly, there is no cataloging system anywhere in the world that could ever calculate or even estimate what or how many minerals, gemstones, rocks, precious metals, and everything else is buried in the earth. You just dig it up from the ground, polish it up in the back of your RV, and sell it out of a tent at traveling gem shows. This industry not only creates the perfect black market industry, it also attracts people who, like the very product they deliver, do not want to be found. So what does this all have to do with quartzite? Here's journalist and documentary filmmaker John Wright. People come to quartzite traditionally in the wintertime for rocks and gems. That's the big deal in quartzite. And why is that important? Well, two reasons actually. This is Arizona Republic reporter Dennis Wagner. Well, they've got this huge gem and mineral show each September and October. That's the first reason. And here's the second and the town just becomes flooded with what we affectionately call snowbirds, uh, mostly elderly folks coming in to uh, enjoy the festivities, which include rock and mineral shows, endless swap meets, and all kinds of other uh, festivals, I guess you'd call it. You got your drifters that come in, you got your snowbirds from Canada, you got your, you know, everybody, so many different places, Montana, uh, Minnesota, Illinois, it's, it's just everywhere. I run an RV park. 
I've got people from South Dakota. I've got them from Colorado. I have them from Oregon, Washington. You have a lot of people who've come to Quartzsite from all over the country, mostly in the Western U.S. And they find a place there. They may not have found a place wherever it was they were, but they, they found it in Quartzsite. Quartzsite was so rich in those days, with such a diverse stratigraphy of these untraceable elements, that its very namesake was born of the nomenclature. Quartz, I mean, it's right in the name of the town. So now you have an essentially endless supply of products in the form of gemstones and minerals from in and around this town, and an endless supply of services in the form of winter visitors that buy the polished rocks and metals from a huge collection of tents that prop up during the colder months. And the result is a cash-only livelihood that sustains all manner of black market enthusiasts. And when I say a huge collection, I mean there's literally a tent city that materializes on the south side of the highway that ignites the activity of the entire town. The big tent comes in. They just set up with tables and there's all kinds of vendors about RVing, about tiny houses. That was Marie. You'll remember her as one of the RV park owners. Here's Mark Goldberg and John Wright on the winter situation. And they kind of organized the rock activities. They created the uh, gem and mineral show, the powwow, like 53 years ago. And it's been a mainstay of the community. It's an extreme seasonal swell. So you've got, you know, in the summertime, it's just a few thousand people. If that, sometimes it just feels extremely dead. And then in the wintertime, it's the exact opposite. It's just this throng of people Part of the charm of Quartzsite is it's this very transient thing. People are there, then they're gone, then they're there, then they're gone. This brings us to number two. Its location has a huge part to play. It's situated not just on a major thoroughfare connecting Los Angeles to Phoenix. It's also the first stop once you get past the Mexican border town of Yuma to connect to the rest of the Southwest and ultimately the rest of the nation. Here's Mayor Simpson on just why Quartzsite's location is, and has been, a corridor for opportunity. Our former chief was part of our uh, Drug Enforcement Task Force, which involved the county, Parker Police Department, and ours. There was uh, belief that our former chief uh, was granting safe passage to the cartel. One newly hired officer stopped a car on a routine traffic uh, stop and it turned into a, uh, like a half million dollar drug bust. That officer was terminated. You get it through Quartzsite, you've got I-10, Highway 72, 60, 95, you've got all directions once you hit Quartzsite, the hub. Here's Lieutenant Gray speaking of his take on the highways running through town. We have everything a major city would have. With an interstate that comes through town, of course, you get anything and everything you can imagine. We have had fugitives out here. The U.S. Marshals were here yesterday. You do have a lot of these high dollar rigs and generators and DPS day in, day out, you know, they work this interstate. and. They get a lot of dope and a lot of wanted people. And the remoteness, too, has a big role to play. It's a remote area. We're a small town. This is a very large county, but it's sparsely populated, so to speak, you know, with only about 20-something thousand full-time residents. 
that sparse population also means not a lot of law enforcement on the roads. You have a lot of land and a small population, so a lot of times there's one trooper and maybe one police officer and one deputy in this area, so. Here's former town manager Alex Taft describing her introduction to the town when she moved here. Shortly after I came here, this was in the 90s, there was a shootout at one of the um, RV parks right on Main Street over a dog barking. One fellow shot the other, didn't kill him, but hit him in the leg, I think. And uh, of course the guy confessed and went to jail. And I don't know what happened to the dog, but uh, nonetheless, that is the character here. Martin Brannan, the former attorney for Quartzsite. Quartzsite, especially in the late 80s, was still really wild west. I mean, it was wild west in a way that the west was never wild. He says that people here were just used to doing things the way they wanted. There's, uh, there's a lot of, um, misconceptions about how things were in the 1880s, you know, but it was, it was as bad or worse than, as far as having any kind of uh, order. Anyone who's already seeking to hide their income and still have access to the major highways connecting California to Florida, or perhaps a quick escape to Mexico, have found Quartzsite to be the right fit for their lifestyle. And that's a strange dynamic to live in. You're in a small town, but you have these big city problems thrust upon you. Think of how that affects the mentality of the locals the mental state of the law enforcement, the fiscal year decisions coming out of the town, everything. These two factors though, the town's history and its location, come together and ultimately draw in the third most important facet of this story, because they are the factors that attract the kind of characters that arrive here and ultimately make Quartzsite their home. I asked Loretta Warren to describe the personalities in Quartzsite. Quartzsite personalities, that's, that, that is definitely an interesting question. The first time I interviewed her, she was the council member in charge of the town's finances. Now she's the vice mayor. It's a wide spectrum of who comes here. Those of us that live here during the summertime, we're considered the oddballs. <laughs> what she's referring to here is the weather, another important location-based factor, which is to say it's insanely hot during the summer. It's not uncommon to have 120 degree days in July and August, with triple digits starting as early as April each year. For a two-mile town that barely means more than a rest stop for most travelers traveling between Southern California and the rest of the Southwest states, Quartzsite is undoubtedly one of the last places anyone would ever imagine finding such a random collection of souls. It's just this little, quirky little town in the middle of nowhere. You don't think anything happens because that's what everybody thinks is a sleepy little Quartzsite. Nothing happens here. That's the current chief of police, Chief Ponce. But if you look back and you start peeling back those layers on the onion, you start realizing what's really going on here and what's gone on, it's, it's crazy. He grew up here, so he would definitely know. Mark Goldberg, too, told me that Quartzsite is made up of... Everything. There's no stereotype. I mean, I've met the full gamut of personalities and people and from places. I mean, there's, there's no stereotype at all. It's a true melting pot. And he's right. The quirkiest of characters call Quartzsite their home. John Gutekunst, a squeaky-voiced newspaper reporter, asked me, Have you met the naked bookseller? One of Quartzsite's most well-known residents. He was actually a musician and a comedy writer. He was talking about the local legend and nudist Paul Weiner. Before I became a naked bookseller on the main street of Quartzsite, Arizona, I spent 25 years as sweet pie. 
I was a naked boogie woogie and blues piano comedy cabaret performer who worked starting in Vermont in the ski areas, branching out through all New England into colleges, beach resorts, and coast to coast and north and south in all the provinces of Canada. And we ended up here, much to my surprise, a town willing to tolerate a naked guy in a G-string <laughs> selling books on Main Street. Makes Quartzsite a pretty unusual place. The interview, by the way, where this audio was recorded, Mr. Weiner was wearing a sun hat, a sweater, and a pair of flip-flops. He's a character. Characters like that find homes in Quartzsite. Then there's the self-entitled lawnmower man who drove his entire life to Quartzsite on the back of his riding lawnmower. One day I looked out the garage, tractor was sitting here and the trailer slightly behind it. It kind of looked like it was hooked together the way they were sitting. And I got thinking, I built me some side racks and put a top on it, load my stuff in there and head south. And I did. <laughs> and of course, there's Sarah, the wandering interstate cyclist and part-time hippie. What I meant to do was come through here, spend a day or two, and then head on to Death Valley, and after that kind of take stock and decide what to do next. I ended up staying here for about a, a month and a couple weeks now and getting a job, so. Yeah, I took my time. I actually traveled with two documentary journalists who would stop everywhere and do stories on stuff. Dennis Wagner once told me. They're like tumbleweeds, you know? They just, <laughs> the wind blows them, and this is where they run up against a fence or a rock and they stop there. They end up in a trailer because most of the town lives in trailer parks. Of the trailer parks, John Wright told me. I used to joke, you know, that the entire town is on wheels. You could pick it all up in a day and it would be gone. I found out from Town Hall Minutes that the first town hall was actually in a garage and even the town's early offices were once in mobile homes. Um, our bank used to be in a motorhome. Um, they had driven it in, taken the wheels off, um, laid a cement foundation, and there was only room for two people to be in the bank at one time. If this hasn't said anything about the diverse characters that wind up here, perhaps the extreme explosion of people will. We're a uh, community of about 3,500, 4,000 full-time residents. During our peak season, which is January, February, we see an influx of 100,000 to a quarter million people over a course of a month or two months. Everything about Quartzsite, its climate, the winter visitors, the explosive winter population, its location, remoteness, history in the black markets, it all comes together to create one of the most unique and surprising little towns I've ever been to. And I was a travel show host that released more than 30 films on history, culture, and cuisine from 43 countries on five continents. So when I say that Quartzsite is the most eccentric of those, that's saying a lot. So those are the three pillars of this story, from which many, many other storylines will be revealed. It seems nice, right? This little retirement town nestled away in the desert, full of these super quirky people. So how did things go so terribly, terribly awry? Well, I'll answer that and many other questions in episode two, where we'll find a man who, after spending on average every single month for the last 12 years in court, fighting false charges that span even to this day, is now running for sheriff in the 2020 elections. He'll tell us how even the very start of the town was based on a lie and how the man who started it had a contract taken out on his life by his very best friend.
We're currently in the funding phase to help complete the film that inspired this podcast. With your donation, you'll get a free copy of the film when it's released. Visit LegallyInsaneFilms.com for more information, to support the film, to download your own copies of this and other media, and to reach out with your own stories of true crime and corruption. Thanks for listening to this episode of Big Trouble in Little Quartzite. I'm your host, Kyle O'Donnell. We'll see you next time. Big Trouble in Little Quartzite has been a production of Legally Insane Films, LLC.